Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, I'm Phil Bliss, founder and CEO of Canada's podcast, coming to you today from Toronto. Mafud Kadora is CEO and founder of Kenota Health. Kenota Health is an innovative technology company that is reinventing the way we test for allergies. A CEO and founder, he has raised 16 million US and assembled a world-class management team with expertise across the board. In Marfrey's words, you build a health company to bring science and innovation to the clinic. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. And that's what I do. So, Mofid, welcome to Canada's podcast. So good to see you. Um, I should let people know that we do know each other, so uh, you're not a total stranger to, to, to me. Um, but, you know, we haven't really talked about entrepreneurship, so why don't you, before we get into a conversation, discussion, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do, how you got here, just, you know, three or four minutes of, uh, of who you are, basically. Absolutely, Phil. It's great to see you, and thank you for having me. And you're right; we do know each other. It's 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 always great to, to talk to you. It's you're full of energy, and uh, it's, it's always fun. So I'm Mufid. I'm uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I am a biologist by training. And uh, to tell you a little bit about my story, I studied biology, and I wanted to become a doctor like my dad. That was that was what I was fixated on all my life. And as I was pursuing that, I became a lot more interested in other things. Still in healthcare, but more so related to problems in healthcare. And um, and the one thing I started looking at is, if I became a doctor, then um, there are ways that I can provide impact and, and benefit to the world. But it's it's limited to how many patients I can see every day. And and I could go into research, but but uh, to you know to provide to to be a doctor and help patients, you got to see patients. And I started thinking about ways that I could have a lot of, you know, a big impact on society and started looking at problems in healthcare and, and realized that the allergy space, which is what I'm doing right now, is, is really in, in desperate need for a lot of innovation and new technologies. And as I started talking to more uh, patients who suffer from allergies, as well as allergy specialists, I realized that there's, there's a real opportunity there. And I personally have allergies. Luckily, nothing life-threatening, but I've, I've seen the process and I've, I understand what it's like to, to have allergies. So I started my company a number of years ago. And essentially what we're doing is we're providing doctors with a way to diagnose patients for their allergies in the office using a small sample of blood. And we've been doing it for a number of years. It's been an exciting journey and happy to share more about that. Good. So before we sort of get much further, I would like to, you know, we were, we were talking about this before, before we came on, on air. Are entrepreneurs wired differently than others? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a certain level of being a rebel and being a renegade and not not fitting into into the the mold that society puts you in. And I remember so a lot of a lot of my friends who are also entrepreneurs, they they're quirky, they're a little bit weird, they're deeply obsessed about what they're doing. And, uh, and that's almost a requirement. If you're looking for, for a more quote unquote balanced lifestyle and you want to have a lot of hobbies and, and you want your job to be nine to five and do a lot of other things, it's entrepreneurship is really not for you. One of the key ingredients to being an entrepreneur is, is obsession. 
You need to find something that you obsess about and that's all you can think about. And that's the only way you can do it because believe me, it's, um, you, I mean, you can look at the magazines and you, you can look at uh, the news and you can see certain entrepreneurs being featured. But th the reality of it is, is it's mostly a grind and it's mostly just hard work and it's mostly not fun, <laughs> but you have to love what you're doing so that you, you continue to do it. Stay ahead of the game with our expert tips and strategies that will help your business thrive in a digital era. Canada'spodcast.com subscribe now. Yeah, well, you talked about becoming a doctor in, in, in a sense. You know, doctors are entrepreneurs, they're independent, yeah. they, they, they're, they're responsible for their own business. Um, why not that versus what you're doing? That's a, that's a great question. I was, so I think for me, one of the, one of, one of the big factors that helped me not go into medicine, but rather go into entrepreneurship and specifically entrepreneurship in the medical field mm -hmm. is a few of my internships that I've done. I, I did a couple, I did one or two internships in an academic laboratory. I was doing plant research and, and I loved it. And it was a lot of fun and we, we did some great work. And, but the, the research, as is some of the academic research, sometimes it's for the sake of understanding the world better and, and you know, producing good science, but it doesn't have a commercial end in mind. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that wasn't really motivating for me. And on the other hand, I had an, a different internship in a lab where I was working on, um, um, at, at the time, it was a company that's, that was developing a, a parathyroid hormone drug for patients. And, and there was a lot of research happening, but the end goal was this is going to treat patients who are sick, who have thyroid issues. And, and that, you know, I could see the end. And that was really exciting to me. So in academia, sometimes there's a, a, like a entrepreneurship or building a company or making money is, 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 is seen as a dirty word because you want to advance the science for the pure sake of advancing science. But to me, the, where, where that falls apart is that is great science. And unless people are benefiting from it and it's eventually making it to the clinic and to the doctor and helping lives, then it's, you know, I don't want to say it's a wasted opportunity, but, but I, I couldn't get motivated by that. Uh, so, you know, for me, that, I guess that was a very indirect way of, of answering why I didn't go into medicine and I decided to work on, on problems in healthcare. It's because I, I realized that if there's so much research that's, that's happening, but unless it makes it, uh, unless you use the company building as a vehicle to bring that innovation to the clinic, it's, it's never going to happen. And that, that was wildly fascinating for me. So I became obsessed <laughs> and then I started working on that. So I'm sure people are listening to this or viewing and they're saying, what the hell does he do? But yeah. so, so I think we should just, we should just talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you're most excited about in your business today kind, kind of thing. Uh, Absolutely. So my company, I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Kinoda Health. What we're doing is we're, we're building a device or we've built a device that brings uh, blood-based allergy testing to the allergist's office. And the way to think about this, Phil, is if you've ever had an allergy test, you know that there are a couple of different ways you can get tested. One of them is you can go to the doctor and um, the common method that they use to test you for allergies is called a skin test. They, they put allergens on your skin, they poke you, and they, they look at how your skin is reacting to it. And that's, that's a method that's used in the office and it's, it's really convenient and, and it's quick. 
But what we realize is that allergy specialists also have a second option, which is they can send you to the lab to get a blood draw. And the blood draw and the blood test specifically provides different information, different than the skin test, and quite valuable information that helps doctors better understand your allergy and the severity and how to how to treat you. And, and it, it helps them make a, a fuller plan. But the, the big problem here is that, uh, and what we heard over and over again, is that when uh, the blood test is inconvenient and a lot of patients are not getting it. And as a result, it's not helping anybody. So the idea was let's bring blood testing into the doctor's office where they can run it along with other testing if they needed to, get a fuller, under, fuller understanding of what the patient is suffering from and make a more comprehensive management plan, treatment plan, and, and suggest really actionable things all within the same visit. So that's the company I've been working on for some years. It's been, uh, it's been a great journey. It's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. We've built the technology and we've submitted it to the FDA last year. So now we're, we're working with the FDA on that. And, um, and we've raised about just about $20 million to date uh, to get to this point. So yeah, definitely that's, that's a little bit about my, what I do. And, and that's what I call my more than full-time job. It's, it's my nine to nine or nine to 10 job. <laughs> so what's been the greatest challenge you faced in your business today? Yeah, there's the, the, that's a good question, Phil. And the answer is, where do I start? It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, well, there are a couple of challenges. One of them is, is the fact that medical devices and the medical industry, it's inherently more difficult than other industries. You've got, you've got people's lives at stake. You can't just build an MVP and, and launch it as soon as you can. You can't have the market test your product, give you feedback and iterate and uh, generate revenue along the way. You can't do any of these things. You have, you, you, your product has to be perfect when you launch it. And, uh, and that means it requires a lot of time, it requires a lot of money, it requires a lot of very specialized skill sets. It requires dealing with the regulators, whether it's Health Canada in, in Canada or whether it's the FDA in, in the United States. And, uh, and it takes years to do it properly. You really can't iterate by launching a product and, and seeing how the market reacts to it. You're also providing medical information. So you have to make sure that the device in terms of accuracy or your technology in general, the technology has to, to to work well, it has to be accurate and the efficacy has to be quite high. The safety in, in certain devices or certain applications also have to be there. Um, and you have to do a lot of studies to, to prove that. So there's that. And I think what makes that especially challenging is not only the time uh, it takes or the skill sets it takes or how, how many very specialized people you have to have around you to help you with that, but also the... Um, you know, the fact that as a company, you're not a revenue generating company. You are a company that relies on investor capital to, to conduct the, the work, to conduct the research. And there's, there are few investors and very specialized investors who would want to get behind that because any investor, the first question they ask you is, how much money are you making today? What, what's, what's your revenue like? And what, what, are, what are your projections for next year? And in a medical company, you don't have that because you can't sell the product before it's fully approved. So yeah, these are some of the challenges that that uh, I've had to go through, amongst others. And um, there are, you know, one of the interesting things as well is, and it took me years to to, to realize this actually, is that as a, as someone starting out in the medical space, and I always say this publicly, I wasn't born a medical devices expert. I'm I, I learn by doing things, and I'm going to become an expert one day, and until then, I'm going to keep learning. Mm -hmm. But 
the one thing that took me a while to, to realize is that because it's such a difficult space and because it's such a, um, um, a highly specialized area, you need to surround yourself, surround yourself with people who are way more experienced than you and way smarter than you in their respective fields, whether it's product, product development or whether it's regulatory affairs or whether it's engineering or software or hardware or mechanical. So building the team has really been what it's all about. And, and in my opinion, the only way to make something as complicated as what we're doing worthwhile and successful. And uh, yeah, so it's there's been a lot of difficult things along the way, but I, I like hard things. <laughs> Join our thriving community of like-minded individuals who share a passion for success and innovation. Canada'spodcast.com subscribe now. What what did not it's not Kenora on anything. What do you see as your biggest challenge in your future as an entrepreneur? My biggest challenge? Yeah, it's wow, I <laughs> that's a good question, Phil. Yeah. You're you're gonna make me think about it. You know, one thing I think about a lot, and I've been thinking a lot about it, is it's keeping the intensity, you know, the same intensity that I've always mm -hmm. had. I'm, I'm naturally a very intense person. I like to get things done. I don't like mediocrity. Okay. It bothers me greatly. And the one thing that I personally try to be very mindful of and very conscious of is not to lose that intensity, not to lose that spark. It's easy to do that. It, life changes. You know, you have responsibilities you've got a mortgage you've got a bigger family and and all of those things i've you know i've seen them i've seen them change people in my life quite a lot so i think for me it's just to stay to keep the grind and to stay focused and to make sure that that intensity never dies because it's the only way to really make something valuable happen this is it's it's like you know being in the army or being an athlete you really have to be uh, a top performer and and that intensity is needed you can't do it casually and and expect successful results there you know there are businesses that you can do them more casually but in the space that i'm in it does require quite a lot so if, if you could go back in time what advice would you give your 22 year old self yeah you know I'm going to bring it back to something I mentioned. It's it's to surround myself sooner with people who are who are experts in the field, who have done various parts of what what needs to happen and, and do it sooner. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a real story. So, I was working on the company for for some time and and I, you know, I get to a point where things became frustrating a little bit because uh, certain things weren't moving as fast. Technology wasn't moving as fast. Certain other areas weren't moving as fast. And I met a mentor who started his company in my space, sold it for $425 million. And, uh, you know, I came to him and I asked him a whole bunch of questions. I had a big list of things that I wanted to talk to him about. And it was, it was a very productive call that I asked him for a second call and a third call and a fourth call and a fifth mm -hmm. call. And he's still, a, he's still my mentor. I still talk to him every two weeks. But the, the one thing that became really clear and, and, and his most actionable advice is, Mufid, you need like you're, you're building this company, but you need a very experienced person on the product development side. So that's, that's your number one thing that you need to do. And you need a very experienced uh, leader on the regulatory side, because that's a, that's a big field and you can, mm -hmm. you know, I can mm -hmm. learn it. I can learn it. It's going to take me a while and 
And, uh, you know, the, the best thing to do is to find that gem, that, that person who's going to make the whole organization much better. So if I went back to my 22-year-old self, which is actually around the, the time I started my company, I would say do that, do that sooner. Like do that as soon as you get started. Mm-hmm. So you've got a mentor who said, but, you know, what's the, the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you use, that you kind of keep in, you know, in your back pocket because it's something that you've, you've used, you know, it's like, it's always relevant. Yeah. Wow, Phil. You're really making me think. <laughs> That's what it's this, about. This is not one of those podcasts where I can just give you a whole bunch of canned answers, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, you know, one of them is, this is going to sound really simple and sort of cliche, but it's one, one time we had a little bit of success and it was the first check that I ever got for the company, the first literally $2,000. <laughs> and and I was I was young and I was jumping up and down and I was very excited and I said two thousand dollars we're gonna like we're gonna conquer the world we're gonna make this happen <laughs> and someone came and put their hands on my shoulder and said congratulations go get more money and uh, this this money is barely gonna pay for your incorporation costs but his his advice was and it's only gonna get harder <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I think a lot of um, you know, a lot of times people think that things will get easier, but, you know, in reality, they get harder. You just become more adapt- adaptive and, and you learn how to deal with, with increasing responsibilities. But in a way, it's, it's challenging and it's fun because you don't want things to get boring and easy and, and, and plateau. Hmm. But the other, actually, like now, now that, that I think about it, the, one of the, the things that I always keep in mind is, is something I read in a book called Good to Great by... Um, I'm blanking out on the name of the author, but um, it, it, it talks about something called the Stockdale Paradox, where it was this, this U.S. Uh, you know, general, he was in the army, he got captured in Vietnam and got tortured for years and years and years and years. And he made it, eventually he made it out, uh, out, of, the, um, out of being a hostage and he went on to do a lot of great things, teach and write books and, and have a very, very prosperous career. Mm-hmm. And someone asked him about why, why it was him who survived versus his colleagues and his, his peers who did not make it. And uh, shockingly, his, his, what he said was, the people who died were the optimists. And to me, this was really shocking because I'm an optimist. I'm always, I'm always of the belief that things are going to get better. The world is, is a much happier place tomorrow. And, but he said the optimists were the people who died. And they said, whoa, can you explain that a little further? And his, what he said is that, that the optimists always believe that things are going to get better by, by Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas. And then those would come and those would go. And year after year after year, eventually they died of a broken heart. So he said that what helped him get through all of this is having the unwavering belief that things will get better and the world will improve and his situation or anyone's situation will get better over time as long as you're doing the work that's required and as long as you don't put a deadline on when things will get better. So because he said that 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 belief, you cannot afford to lose it. You cannot afford 
to lose the belief that the world will be better or the situation will be better or things will improve and whatever hardship is going to pass. So that's what I think about all the time is, is you know, we've, with, with anything in life, whether it's entrepreneurship or personal life, things will get better. You have to do the hard work. Don't set a deadline on it because you'll die of a broken heart and just keep working. With over 700 episodes and 500 news articles, we are your go-to source for all things entrepreneurship. Canada'spodcast.com. Subscribe now. So we're going to have some fun now. Just move on to some rapid-fire questions. So uh, just just to blurt out your answer. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing instead? <laughs> I would probably be a doctor. Okay. You've talked about a book. What book are you currently reading, listening to? You know, you don't have to read it, but you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, one book that I read before and I read again recently because I really like it is is, is called is a book called The Hard Things About Hard Things. It's uh, it's by Mark Andreessen, I believe, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a very it's an excellent book. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he 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 shares a lot of stories and he talks about a lot of scenarios that he went through, and his underlying message is there's always a way, you know, there's always a way. Are you a morning or a night person? I think I know, but yeah, I'm actually more of a morning person, and I have a something clicks in my mind when when I hit midnight, my brain shuts off, can't do anything anymore. <laughs> if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be, and why would you choose it? I would say ambitious, okay. and the reason I would choose it is. I feel like we're we're given so many opportunities every day and and it's it's a shame if we don't utilize them to, to the fullest. So the one I heard I heard a saying one time, I don't fully agree with it. I don't agree with it hundred percent, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. It's the harder you work, the luckier you get. And the way I've seen that translate over the years is if I just work hard and I put myself out there, good things happen. I meet random people that turn out to be great mentors, great advisors, great investors. And, and uh, yeah, keeping that ambition alive is, is really what, how I would describe myself. Interesting. What's keeping you up at night? What's keeping me up at night? It's, Wow. There is, you know, for us, like as a as a company, we're look we're um, we've got a lot of great milestones ahead of us, mm-hmm. and we've got FDA that we're working with, and we're we've got other plans for the future and how we're eventually going to to place the devices in the clinic. Because ultimately, if we don't do that, then then you know we haven't succeeded as a company. Our device has to be in the clinic. So I think that I think about that a lot, and. Mm-hmm. Another thing, I wouldn't say it's keeping me up at night, but another thing that I've been thinking about a lot is is making sure that I instill some more exercise in my life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just t- t- taking care of, of the, the physical aspect of my life mm-hmm. so that, I can, you know, I can continue to, to run at the same speed for many years. Mofi, we've come to the end of our time, and it's been really fun. I've enjoyed some some very interesting responses to, to the questions. Uh, so we, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the Canada's podcast. 
Bill, thank you so much. It's always good to see you. And this was a great opportunity and a lot of, I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. By the way, the questions you asked were, were excellent. I really, you've had, you made me think a few times. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. absolutely. Good. Thanks, Mofid. Thank you very much.